Hi, I'm Wimala, and today is May 29th. Tomorrow is Memorial Day, and uh, it's also a day that we're we're mourning the loss of more children and teachers killed in a generation, or more people traumatized by gun violence in our country. So it's a uh, most of us have heavy hearts, I think. And because of that, before I start reading from Becoming Your Own Therapist, which is the book by Lama Yeshe that I've been reading, we're getting close to the end. But I'd like to start with a meditation. And the topic is on a meditation on gratitude and joy. And I think I've done it before with this group. It's a meditation that Jack Cornfield wrote. And gratitude and joy may feel like just the opposite of what we're feeling these days with uh, so much gun violence and so much pain and violence in the world and hunger and flooding and fires. But I think for that reason, it's important for us to continually recognize what we have to be grateful for and where we're able to find joy and what we can do to keep ourselves going. We have to, it's like the uh, awakening factors. They're all the qualities that we want to develop that are beautiful. Like they're, they're, To me, they're kind of the goal we're getting rid of defilements in our mind, and we're we're uh, working on being the best person we can be. And sometimes we need some little um, signposts of of progress that might be include more gratitude, more joy in our lives, reasons to be to have these to be working so vigilantly on ourselves and trying to change our habit patterns maybe or change um, the way, change our mind <laughs> and let go of attachment, which we're always trying to work with. And we need to know that there are rewards for the work we do. We need to know why are we doing this? So let's begin with this. It's, a, it's not a long meditation, but it's kind of wordy. But I'd like, I'd like to do it before we read, and then we can read. So this is a meditation on gratitude and joy. And I'm reading, because it's Jack Cornfield's, um, I'm going to read his words in gratitude for his, his practice and his teachings. So let your body be relaxed. Really be in your body, be aware of the breath, and let that bring you back to your body, whatever posture you're in. Feel yourself as you settle into the breath and you're relaxing your physical body. 
You might want to start with a few deeper breaths in and out. With these, you could even breathe out through your mouth to get a fuller exhale. Just a few breaths and then go back to your normal breath. We're all carrying a lot of stress these days and probably a degree of sadness if we're honest with ourselves just about the conditions we see in the world and feeling hopeless hopeless about what we can do to change things. But every day we practice, every day we practice loving kindness, every time we practice gratitude, every time we talk, reach out to someone, talk to someone, remember we can be a refuge. We can be, it's being part of the solution. So just be with your breath and just listen to the words, but just let your focus be on the breath and relaxing your body. Allow your body to be relaxed and open, your breath natural, your heart easy. Begin the practice of gratitude by feeling how year after year you have cared for your own life. Now let yourself begin to acknowledge all that has supported you in this care. With gratitude, I remember the people, animals, plants, insects, creatures of the sky and sea, air and water, fire and earth, all whose joyful exertion blesses my life every day. I offer my gratitude for the safety and well-being I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the blessing of this earth I have been given. With gratitude, I remember the care and labor of a thousand generations of elders and ancestors who came before me. I offer my gratitude for the family and friends I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the community I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the teachings and lessons I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the life I have been given. Just as we are grateful for our blessings, so we can be grateful for the blessings of others. Continue to breathe gently. Bring to mind someone you care about, someone it is easy to rejoice for. Picture them and feel the natural joy you have for their well-being 
for their happiness and success. With each breath, offer them your grateful, heartfelt wishes. And here are the wishes. We can remember this and then practice this all day long. May your happiness increase. May you not be separated from great happiness. May your good fortune and the causes for your joy and happiness increase. Since the sympathetic joy and caring in each phrase. And sympathetic joy is appreciative joy. When you feel some degree of natural gratitude for the happiness of this loved one, extend this practice to another person you care about. Recite the same simple phrase and phrases that express your heart's intention. May your happiness increase. May you not be separated from great happiness. May your good fortune and the causes for your joy and happiness increase. Then gradually open the meditation to include neutral people. These are people we really don't know yet. Maybe someone we've been introduced to, but that's the only contact we have. Or a familiar face you see when you go to the store or when you're walking, maybe even a neighbor. They're neutral because we have developed no opinions about them yet. To this neutral person we can say, may your happiness increase. May you not be separated from great happiness. May your good fortune and the causes for your joy and happiness increase. And then gradually open further to include difficult people. And eventually even enemies until you extend sympathetic joy to all beings everywhere, young and old, near and far. Practice dwelling in joy until the deliberate effort of practice drops away and the intentions of joy blend into the natural joy of your own wise heart. May your happiness increase. May you not be separated from great happiness. May your good fortune and the causes for your joy and happiness increase. So thank you.
can read. I was very moved by those words because when we're in these periods of uh, mourning for our country, mourning for the loss of, you know, we get through a pandemic with with one million deaths in this country, and then we're bombarded and we're not even through with the pandemic, but it feels like we've been barded bombarded with uh, just constant tragedy in the world and in this country with so many, so much violence, so much gun violence. So it's important for us to be able to feel joy for others and awaken the joy within us and increase those causes, increase those conditions and causes that can help us experience great joy and great happiness. And we want it for all other beings. While we were sitting, you may have heard there's a squirrel squawking away in the tree in front of me. And that was, a, that was the guard squirrel, because the big black and white cat, who loves being on my patio, and uh, came walking up very slowly to drink out of the big water dish. And so the squirrel started re- reminding all of his other brother and sister squirrels to be on the, the alert. And I'm sure it alerts the chipmunks and the birds. We haven't seen the squirrel uh, attack any animal, uh, at least right here because I think there's a good squirrel patrol. They take turns staying in the tree. (laughs) So I was feeling a lot of gratitude for them and thinking how, how that squirrel in the tree was taking care of his brother and sister squirrels and all the other little animals that could be concerned about the cat. We are still reading the Q&As from his, uh, the, his talk, which was all Q&As. So the talk was the Buddhist approach to mental illness. And he is giving this talk at Prince Henry's Hospital in Melbourne, Al- Aus- Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia in 1975. So I'm sure he's talking to a lot of... Uh, just regular lay people, but a lot of probably uh, hospital staff. Let me see. I think I stopped here. Why do you think that the methods of Buddhist psychology offer an individual a better chance of success in achieving everlasting happiness whereas other methods may have great difficulty in doing this and sometimes never do. And his answer, I'm not saying that because Buddhist methods work, we don't need any others. It's very important. People are different. Individual problems require individual solutions. One method won't work for everybody. I'm so glad he's saying he's saying this because I think we don't often say it enough. 
one method won't work for everybody. In the West, you can't say that Christianity offers a solution to all human problems. Therefore, we don't need psychology or Hinduism or any other philosophy. That's wrong. We need a variety of methods because different people have different personalities and different emotional problems. But the real question we have to ask of any method is can it really put a complete stop to human problems forever? <clears throat> Actually, Lord Buddha himself taught an amazing variety of psychological remedies to a vast range of problems. Some people think that Buddhism is a rather small subject. Of course, Lord Buddha offered billions of solutions to the countless problems people face. It's almost as if a personalized solution has been given to each individual. Buddhism never says there's just one solution to every problem, that this is the only way. Lord Buddha gave an incredible variety of solutions to cover every imaginable human problem. Nor is any particular problem necessarily solved all at once. Some problems have to be overcome gradually, by degrees. Buddhist methods also take this into account. That's why we need many approaches. That's such an important message. We have to find the approach that works for the individual. It's not a one-shot thing. Uh, next question. <clears throat> now the sentry squirrel has come down to enjoy some, <laughs> some sunflower seeds, so they must have watched the cat go back to his house. Sometimes we see patients who are so grossly disturbed that they need larger doses of various drugs or just a lot of time before you can even communicate with them. How do you approach someone with whom you can't even communicate intellectually? And the answer, first we try slowly, slowly to become friends in order to earn their trust. Then, when they improve, we start to communicate. Of course, it doesn't always work. The environment is also important. A quiet house in the country, a peaceful place, appropriate pictures, therapeutic colors, that kind of thing. It is difficult. So once again, even Metta is here. So what does he say first? First, we try slowly, slowly to become friends in order to earn their trust. Next question. Some Western psychologists believe that aggression is an important and necessary part of human nature, that anger is a kind of positive driving force, even though it sometimes gets people into trouble. What is your view of anger and aggression? Very important. This is a very important question, so as many wise people who answer it, the, the better for all of us. The Lama's answer, I encourage people not to express their anger, not to let it out. 
Instead, I have people try to understand why they get angry, what causes it and how it arises. When you realize these things, instead of manifesting externally, your anger digests itself. In the West, some people believe that you get rid of anger by expressing it, that you finish it by letting it out. Actually, in this case, what happens is that you leave an imprint in your mind to get angry again. I want to read this. In the West, some people believe that you get rid of anger by expressing it, that you finish it by letting it out. Actually, in this case, what happens is that you leave an imprint in your mind to get angry again. The effect is just the opposite of what they believe. It looks like your anger escaped, but in fact you're just collecting more anger in your mind. The imprints that anger leaves on your consciousness simply reinforce your tendency to respond to situations with more anger. But not allowing it to come out doesn't mean you are suppressing it, bottling it up. That's also dangerous. You have to learn to investigate the deeper nature of anger, aggression, anxiety, or whatever it is that troubles you. You have, I'm repeating some of these sentences, they're so important. You have to learn to investigate the deeper nature of anger, aggression, anxiety, or whatever it is that troubles you. When you look into the deeper nature of negative energy, you'll see that it's really quite insubstantial. That it's only mind. When you look into the deeper nature of negative energy, you'll see that it's really quite insubstantial. That it's only mind. As your mental expression changes, the negative energy disappears, digested by the wisdom that understands the nature of hatred, anger, aggression, and so forth. My goodness, that's, that's wonderful. So it doesn't have to be digested by the body. It says your anger, instead of uh, manifesting externally, your anger digests itself. So as your mental expression changes, the negative energy disappears, digested by the wisdom that understands the nature of hatred, anger, aggression, and so forth. That's that's just... That's just incredible. He's just so direct and beautiful, isn't he? It's so true. Where did the very first moment of anger come from? The anger that left imprint after imprint after imprint. The Lama's answer, anger comes... Here's the answer. Anger comes from attachment to sense pleasure. Check up. It means check up yourself. This is wonderful psychology, but it can be difficult to understand. 
When someone touches something to which you are very attached, you freak out. Attachment is the source of anger. And then Dr. Gold there in Australia says, Well, Lama, thank you very much for coming and visiting with us. It's been very, very interesting. He says, Thank you so much. I'm very happy to have met you all. This this connection between anger and attachment is so important. When someone touches something to which you are very attached, you freak out. (laughs) This is a Tibetan Lama saying you freak out. (laughs) Attachment is the source of anger. And we know that that attachment is also what binds us to this endless plane of samsara. It's attachment that keeps us from being able to wake up. And attachment is what we are doing when we, when we study the noble, the four noble truths. Uh, we know that the the source of our suffering is that is that desire, that that craving, that leads to so quickly leads to attachment. And this is the attachment, the attachment for things that uh, that bind us to the earth, so sense pleasure. It's not the attachment from being uh, a good and safe uh, parent, not the attachment like the squirrel has of warning his his family and his uh, neighborhood of the cat. It's the attachment to the sense pleasures in our life. Sometimes, uh, we. Th- this was the topic in the Q&A, at the temple yesterday, the, the, the monks led a Q&A, and uh, it ended talking about this very thing, that attachment is the source. It's the source of our suffering. And it's when, that, when any desire or craving just very quickly can become attachment. And that's what causes us, that, that's what causes us, any threat to that causes that anger to arise. Attachment is the source of anger. It's a lot to work with. It's a whole lifetime of something to practice, study it, but integrate it into your life. It has to be real for us. It can't just be something that we, we've read about. So, my goodness. So that's... That's our time for today, but the last chapter, well, it's not the last chapter. So the next chapters, it's not not too many pages. The next chapter is going to be everything comes from the mind. Make your mind an ocean. He's talking, we, he's, we're talking about how material objects and sense pleasure uh, these are not the things that we want to be dedicating our lives to. Your mind is an ocean. So this is telling us, and then he has some the beautiful Q&As at the end of that. 
And let's see if there's another chapter after that. Make your mind an ocean is a pretty wonderful way to leave it, to end it, right? No, then the last of the section is talking about his legacy and um, he created the foundation for the preservation of the Mahayana tradition. And I've, I've encountered those in Northern California, um, but it's kind of a branch of the Tibetan Western, I think especially Western Tibetan. But this is, this is wonderful, what a wonderful teacher he is. And all of this is not designed to, to, to talk to one sect of one specific branch of, of Buddhism. He continues to say how universal this is. And this is, this is psychology. This is good for human beings. You don't have to be any particular religion or faith or practice or uh, conviction to, to see the truth in all of this. So everything comes from the mind and we can make our minds an ocean then it contain, can contain everything. So I'm excited to continue reading this. But please remember when we feel sadness and heartbreak over the condition we see in our country with gun violence and so many other uh, issues in the world with war, with the war in Kosovo with famines and flooding in so many countries and starvation, hunger, everything piling up, it makes it so easy to become angry. And that anger sometimes is because of we have attachments, we're so afraid of losing them. What if the economy falls out from under us? What, well, maybe we'll lose a car or a house or income. Um, that fear connected to those attachments, that's what becomes anger. So we have to learn to look deeper and we have to learn to work with anger a different way. So I think what he said is just perfectly wonderful for all of us. So may everything we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit and refuge of all sentient beings, all living beings everywhere. And may all of you have a beautiful uh, Memorial Day. Be safe. And uh, if you have to work I, my son has to work because his restaurant is open. Uh, and I know so many other people have to work. But as a... <laughs> it's, uh, I used to have to work because I had to take pictures of parades and all kinds of things. But um, if you have a day of rest, it might be a day when you visit with family and... Uh, have picnics or see parades or certainly go to pay your respects at uh, cemeteries to appreciate 
the people who have served this country and protected us. So, have a beautiful long weekend and be aware of all of these beautiful teachings that we're endowed with that can really help us. And I think working with anger is maybe the most powerful because it works directly with the cause of all of our suffering. So thank you for being here.